nervous hearts like mine to the Word, and right before we study it, thinking about the last verse of the church's one foundation, O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. It's perfect for what we're going to be talking about tonight. This is, this is forward-looking, and though we're happy and God calls us holy, we're to put on meekness and lowness. It's just beautiful. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, give us grace in this 45 minutes or so that we come to your word. Um, may we put ourselves under it and be taught by it. May we exult in it and sing to you because of it. And Lord, may it dwell richly here among us. Uh, give us patience with one another. Give my, uh, my tongue and my mind clarity that I might deliver the word of God um, clearly, which is how it ought to be taught, Lord. In your name, amen. So we're going to try to finish our section in Colossians chapter 3 today. So if you go ahead and find that, I'm going to read the passage to get us started. I'm going to start in verse 5 and continue through verse 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds all things together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, if you remember, we started a few weeks ago talking about Christian hiddenness, and we, I, I argued that it was the occasion for your deliberate seeking, that it was the cause of an unearthly mindset in you, that it was like the burial of a fleshly life, and it was your anticipation, your preparation for appearance with God in glory. 
And so we, we centered on Christian hiddenness as the blood-pounding muscle, if you will, of this chapter. It's what gave courage to do the things which are more or less seen as dead to the world, but you do them in Christ, living, because you died in Christ and you were raised with him. You were united with Christ. And so then we continued on in the next section, and we, we, Paul was urging you to put to death what was earthly in you, and we went through that list, and there were four reasons that we saw. First, you are eager to appear with Christ in glory, and this is a great motivation then to put these things to death, but also to remember that the wrath of God is coming for sins like yours. But not to leave it there, right? We, we remembered that through the gospel of Christ, you are not who you once were. And this is the, was the third reason to put these things off. Christ has done a work in you, and now you must put them all away. And as we mounted that climb again, and we took on that burden to put these things away, we saw that Paul had been bringing us closer and closer into fellowship with one another. You were being brought into a body that God has called. And so there in that body, we saw there was uh, an environment of Christian deference, a renewing in knowledge according to the image of God, and we valued truth in one another. So today, then, we come to the next section. We're to put on certain things. And I want to remember as we move on, then, the, the things that we're putting on, these virtues that Paul calls us to, these are particularly the Christian virtues. If you remember, in the, fir- in the previous section, we were being renewed in knowledge into the image of our Creator. So the knowledge or the renewing that Paul is asking for here is supposed to picture Christ for us. We're supposed to look at it and see Christ in it, even as we apply that to ourselves and go to live it out. So I hope the organization of our sermon this morning is helpful to you as we try to put that together. I've chosen headings that I think are faithful to the passage, but also help us reflect on how they relate to Christ and his ministry. So first, in verses 12 through about verse, through verse 14, these are virtues of emptying. None of these virtues are virtues that will make you stand out or, or become great images to the world if you're wanting to draw them to yourself. They are virtues of lowness, of humility, just as Christ was emptied for us. And then the next section looking at verses 15 through the beginning of 16. The peace of Christ is to rule. You are called in one body, and the word of Christ is to dwell. And I put these under the heading of of offered. Christ was offered up as a sacrifice, and it was acceptable to God. So we, being humble before the Lord, we we offer ourselves up in Christ, and in that, he accepts that offering and comes and dwells in us. He rules over us and dwells in us, and that is through the calling which we have in his body. So emptied, offered, and then this word that is dwelling on us is a rich dwelling, and so we're to teach and admonish in wisdom and singing and hymns and psalms. So this is, this is a filling. Christ has formed a house, and then we are to fill it with his praise. So emptied, and then we are offered, filled, And finally, thankful. There's a threefold admonition of thankfulness at the end of our text today, at the end of each verse. And so those are the headings that we'll try to stick to. And in each case, we're reflecting on how that makes sense because we're in Christ and this is what Christ did on earth.
So to get there, though, there's, there's a little bit of legwork I want to do, and I, I struggled with how to organize this, so just bear with me for a moment. When we come to the Bible, what, what, are, what is our goal in reading? We, we know it's not just to acquire knowledge, and we certainly, we know it's not just to think our own thoughts. At least we try to make it as much as we can not about thinking our own thoughts, but at a minimum, when we read, actually, when we read anything, our goal is to think in some way the author's thoughts, to come to the author's terms. And in the Bible particularly, because all the author's thoughts are valuable and we understand they're infallible, we don't just come and try to think what Paul thought. We try to be affected by those thoughts as Paul would have us to be affected by them. So we're, we put ourselves under them and in them. And, and part of this, the, part of the way that I try to do this is to look carefully at the way Paul uses certain metaphors and comes to those texts. So it's easy to skip over those metaphors, but if we pause and, and think, okay, what is he saying when he says this, it can be helpful. And so I'm going to, I want to look first at this, this phrase, put in, put on, I'm sorry, put on then. So when Paul uses the word put on, the, most commentators agree this is, this is a phrase that comes from the world of clothing. You, you're to put it on like you put on a piece of clothes. So if we're to be affected by what Paul is saying here, I, I think it's right for us to picture ourselves, as we're putting on this new self, to picture ourselves putting on clothes. But I'm going to go a little bit further and ask, okay, does, does Paul care about what type of clothes I'm putting on? Clothes have many different, many different uses, right? I, I could be putting on clothes to work like an apron, I could be putting on clothes for warmth, like a parka, or maybe putting on a tuxedo for, for show. Or, you know, I could be putting on many different things and for many different uses. And Does Paul care? Does the Holy Spirit care how I think about this putting on? And I, I'm going to argue yes. I'm going to argue there's enough pointers in here that it would be most helpful to think about what we're putting on in terms of the, the words that are given here. So I, I'm going to try to show that. First, what does he say? Put on then as God's holy ones, chosen and beloved. When we hear holy, chosen, and beloved, what, what do we think of, biblically speaking? We probably should think of, at least this is what I think of, I think of the, the priesthood, right? I think of, think of passages like, uh, like Second Peter, or I'm sorry, like First Peter 2.9. When he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, right? You are chosen for God's work, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when Paul says you are chosen, holy, and beloved, I, I'm thinking of priesthood. And so in some ways, these, are garments we're put, these garments we're putting on are like the garments of the Old Testament priesthood. They're, they're clean and they're new, but they're also uh, fragrant unto the Lord, if you will. If you remember, the priests were, were anointed with specific anointings that would give the aura of God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this in, if you'll bear with me for a sec. One of the reasons I think that's not all that Paul has in mind, though, is, first, if, if you're looking at these virtues in verse 12 and, and continue on, we already noted um, compassion at hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience— bearing with one another. If, if you think these are virtues that you can put on and, and display for myself that's, that just doesn't fit with the text, these certainly don't display ourselves. These are virtues of, 
of humility, of being put under something. And if you were to turn to Exodus, I just stumbled across this this morning and almost gave me a, a heart attack that I was doing something wrong here. Um, give me a sec if I find it, because I did not write it down. I believe this is in Exodus chapter 28 or 29. 28. And verse, one moment, <laughs> I'm looking for a particular phrase. He describes, there it is, sorry, it's on the turn of the page, that's why I couldn't find it. Okay, so I'm just going to read, um, starting in verse 1, chapter 28. Then bring near to you Aaron, his, your brother, and his sons with him. And among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Bring Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, Ithmar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the people, you shall speak to all, I'm sorry, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. And so it struck me this morning, wait a minute, the, priest, the priestly garments were for glory and beauty. I l- literally wrote down those words in my manuscript that these attributes, which we're reading in Colossians, are not for glory or beauty. And I thought, wait a minute, what's going on here? But remember, this is not for glory and beauty for yourself. This is not for yourself. These priests were consecrated to the Lord, and the glory and beauty that they were to represent was to the Lord. And so, as we've often seen in Colossians, I think there are two things going on here. Think of putting on, like, priestly garments, but then when we get to chapter 14, or I'm sorry, verse 14, and it says, above all, put on love which binds everything together, this garment is functioning in a certain way. Above all, put on, and the commentators agree, this is a continuation of the metaphor of putting on clothes. So it's an overcoat, it's put on above things, but it's binding. It it pulls together. So if I think of, in a biblical context, putting on something that that binds, my my mind goes to, and there's probably other places you could, could, or other ways you could take this, but my mind goes to the binding which happened at, at burial. Think of Christ's body. It was wrapped in white linen, and it was it was seasoned with spices even, and it was laid in a tomb. It was, in a way, it was offered as, as a sacrifice. So there's, there's kind of a, a parallel thing going on. There's, there's two things going on. We can think of these garments as putting on priestly garments, but we dare not think of the priestly garments as putting on glory and beauty for ourselves. Rather, we're thinking of them in a way that is, that is offered up. These are garments, if you will, of burial to the world. They are garments that are, that are humble. And that, that's the point I want to make. As we, as we go through these virtues, think of these as humble garments. I don't think the distinction has to be particularly clear. Paul doesn't make a particularly clear distinction here. Both, whether it was a priest or it was a dead person, both were in some way set apart from the world, whether by death or by ministry, and they were either laid in the ground in hope or set apart unto the Lord for his worship, and both were anticipating a, a coming, a more full worship, a more full embodiment. So this is the picture that I think we have. So think about that as we talk about these virtues. 
So I'll just add to the, to the burial language then uh, to emphasize that a little bit, right? We, we saw burial in the first part, dead, hidden, and waiting, was like dead, buried, and waiting. Also here we see you're to put to death, and then finally you're to strip that off. So you're, you're put to death, you're stripped, and then you put on something new, and then the waiting is evident, I think probably most clearly, in chapter 4, verses 2 through Four, when he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Think of limited time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So the same theme happens. You dead, stripped, put on new, and waiting. So this, this, again, the putting on our, our humble garments this morning. So if you're still with me then, let's, let's continue and talk about each of these virtues. First, we're to put on compassionate hearts. So knowing you're standing before the Lord, if you are called, Paul addresses you as chosen, holy, and beloved. That means I'm speaking, I'm speaking to a room of priests this morning, people who God has chosen and called. And so, as we think of putting this on, we, we know our standing before the Lord, and we know that in, in, the eyes we are cho- in his eyes we are chosen and holy. So then, we're to put on compassion, and the, the old way of saying this is bowels of mercy, right? It is the inner organs that are going to house pity, a place to, to hold pity as, as part of you. This is what you're to put on, Remember, um, so if you turn to Hebrews 10, we see an example of Christian pity. Hebrews 10, verse 32, if you want to turn there, you can. But it says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This compassion is a self-giving compassion and anticipates what is coming. Put on kindness, he continues. Kindness is an integrity, a gentleness. I, I was helped by the pairing of those two things together. A gentle integrity. This is what kindness is sort of meant here. It's a very broad word, really. But it's kindness not only to brothers and sisters, but also to enemies. Recall Luke. I'm, I'm going to be going through a bunch of passages, so you can keep up with me if you want. I'm going to read them um, as, I, as I copy them into the manuscript here. But think of Luke, chapter 6, verse 34 and 36, where he says, And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And so, Jesus, when he was here on earth, pointed to the kindness of God, God's gentleness towards us as an example that we then are to walk in, and kindness toward other. Put on humility and meekness then. This is empty yourself of all sorts of inner morality that you 
considering yourself to be uh, morally better, right? Um, to, to put it in, in different words, it's a, it's, it's a meekness, a mild disposition which brings you closer to a brother or sister in need. It's a deep sense of your own littleness. A deep sense of your own littleness. Notice Paul's own example. I would like you to turn to this one in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. I don't mean to make these terms sound as if they're, um, I guess, spineless. I don't think that's the point here. But it is a, it is a disposition. Think of Paul. He, he's coming to defend his ministry here. But look how hesitant he is toward boldness, even though he knows there's a time to be bold and there's a time to defend the truth here. Think of his humility. Verse, or chapter 10, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such <laughs> with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So this humility and this, this meekness is not meekness and humbleness into a spinelessness, but it's to recognize that the reality of what you're wrestling with is spiritual. And Paul, Paul would rather not have to be bold toward his Christians on this matter. He would rather be meek and tender to them. And so he urges them, Listen to the word of God that I don't have to come to you boldly. This is the disposition of every Christian, what our Christian disposition toward one another ought to be. Put on patience, it continues. Long-suffering, this is a slowness in avenging wrongs. Bearing with one another, to sustain, to endure, to suffer, to hold yourself upright and firm and to absorb the heat rather than to throw it back. This is what long-suffering is. Did not Jesus bear with hunger when he was here on earth? Did he not bear with you in, in bearing with the crowds? Did he not bear under the cross? Did he not forgive you? And how are you then not supposed to forgive one another? You have every reason this morning to forgive each other. You, you might think, but I don't, you don't know how that made me feel. Would you like Christ to say anything like that? How do you think... I mean, if you put Christ was fully human, how do you think the cross made him feel? Yet he forgave you of all your sins. And he went to the cross specifically to do that, not in spite of it. And then we come to put on love. Above all, put on love, which binds all things together. So we're in Colossians 3 still. I think, this might be an awkward transition, but I think one of the reasons why he says, above all, put on love. has to do with the connection between love and the baptism of Christ. Look over in verse two, or chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 10. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. The connection of burial and baptism is clear when you see it happen as someone is baptized and raised up. But I do believe this baptism of the Holy Spirit is what brings you 
into union with Christ, and it is the baptism then of the church which brings you into fellowship with one another. So being bound together in love, that binding is, is much like a baptism. It's what brings you together. Um, let me connect that for you a little bit better. Do you remember the keys of the kingdom that you are given as members of Christ's church? When he says, all authority on earth has been given to you, so whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what is loosed on earth will loose. It is that welcoming into membership and, and letting go of membership that God has entrusted to you, and it's called, it's, it's a binding. And so when we think of in love, put on love, which binds all things together, we're to remember that the actual uniting that happens here is not a piece of paper. We welcome people in through the display of baptism, and we, and we put their name on a list, they shine, sign the church covenant, but really what binds people together is the love which God gives for one another. So when we welcome one another together, are we content just to have their name on the roster or their seat in the pew, or are we, are we working to love them in such a way that is going to actually bind them to us and to one another when it counts? Are we bound in this way that to leave is, is to, to be unthinkable, right? We, you can think of uh, the family gatherings when you go to see the people that you really don't sometimes want to be with because you, you know the tensions that are there, you know the struggles. Nevertheless, the natural bond of family love brings you there again. It's, it's unthinkable to not be there, right? And this is the binding together that works all things together in harmony in Paul's mind. So these are the emptying things, to go out and love, to be compassionate towards one another in humility, to, to empty ourselves as Christ was emptied. And in doing so then, we want Christ to come and to dwell and to rule over us. So this is, this, is where, um, this is where we ought to be filled with gratitude. Notice the connection between these two things. In verse 16, I'm sorry, in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we want to think about how thankfulness is going to be bringing us together. So starting in verse 15, 16, and 17, each verse is going to end with thankfulness. But what are we thankful for, particularly in verse 15? We're thankful for being called together into one body. We're thankful for the peace that we have in Christ. What does it mean to be called, into, called by which you were called in one body? I, I think the one body that they're talking about here is particularly Christ's body. Remember, we're thinking about these things as renewing. What happened to Christ? That happens to me, right? So Christ's body... That one sacrifice is what has called each of you out of darkness into light. There is no other sacrifice which, which brings you together. Christ is the only sacrifice, the one sacrifice, and it is by his one body given up for us that we are all called together into one. And so then the oneness of the body, that the church body, then comes to picture that. This, this term body is almost interchangeable for Paul throughout Colossians. Oftentimes he talks about the church, which is, or Christ's body, which is the church, and vice versa. So we are called together in one body. And what is, what is our ruler? I, I picture this as the front guard, 
and the inner dwelling is both of Christ. The front guard being the ruler of peace. This is what God has set over us. This is what um, is to be our governor, is the peace of God. And what is to dwell in us is to be the word of God. So on both ends, Christ has built a house, and we are to, we are to guard it with peace and fill it with his word, and this calling is in one body. So I, I picture this under the offering of, under the heading of offering, because we are first emptied, and then when we offer ourselves up to Christ, come, Christ comes and fills with his word. Think of, think of the Old Testament, whether it was the sacrifice that Elijah made on Mount Carmel, or it was the tabernacle when it was first sanctioned. There was a giving of it over to the Lord, and the Lord would come, whether it was through fire or smoke, and he would come and indwell or consume that offering. And this is, this is sort of the give and play, I think, here in Colossians, where we are emptied and we are offered, and Christ then rules and fills us. He has let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which you, indeed, which you are called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so Christ having built this house and it being guarded on the front with peace and indwelt with the word, your job as priests today is the filling of that place, the filling of that gathering of people. You are to be be filling it with nothing else than the word. How could we be called into one body and try to fill it with something that was alien to what Christ has told us to do. So then we fill it with teaching and admonishing, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is the offering up of praise back to God. He sheds his word into us, and we return it back unto him. It does not return to him void for those who are united to Christ. He has dwelt among us richly, and we are to echo that praise back to the Lord. And and then Paul says, this is the the capstone of this section. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I had the privilege of discussing this a little bit yesterday with some of the brothers. I said, truly, this terrifies me, guys. (laughs) To think of putting Christ's name as a banner over everything that I do just doesn't sound right. Like, that doesn't sound good for God's glory. That doesn't sound good for my safety. Paul, do you know I'm a sinner? Like, I sin a lot. But I was reminded, this isn't, this isn't given as a license to go put God's name above all that we do, so much as it is a reminder, God has put his name above you. Each one of you were baptized in whose name? in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, right? And his banner over you is love, we see in in, uh, Song of Songs. And so, all that you do is to be done in that name. This is is the greatest name that ever is, the name that every knee on earth will bow, and every tongue will confess that name. And so the calling that Paul draws us into is is a calling that ought to be met not by terror like it first was for me, but with thankfulness. This is why Paul repeats thankfulness three times. And if you didn't miss it, and if you did miss it, he repeats it again as he concludes the section in, verse, in chapter 4. Thankfulness is 
four times mentioned here as the response to what God is doing in your midst. This is, this is a calling which takes us and helps us, again, take our mind off of ourselves. We're not putting on clothes that are for ourselves, but this is in the name of Christ, remember? These clothing, this clothing that we're putting on is a holy garment. It's a sacred garment to the Lord. It is a garment which is dead to the world. And so this calling is, an, is a calling that is certainly high, it's certainly grave, but it is a calling of joy when it's in the shadow of the cross. So let's pray, and we'll close. Lord, I thank you for teaching us in your word. I pray that you would help each one of us to put on the new self that you have purchased for us with your own blood and your own body. Help us to put these virtues on intentionally, solemnly, every morning. Because we are each like priests, Lord, holy, chosen, and beloved. Lord, help us to put on this because in you we have died, and in you our life is hidden, and in you we have been raised. I pray that you would empty us of ourselves through these virtues, Pray that we'd be emptied through compassion, through kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. Lord, especially empty us through love. That we might be bound together with your church, even as your body was wrapped in new linens at its burial. Lord, rule over us, even as we offer ourselves to you. Accept the offering of ourselves in response to to this calling which we have in your body, your body which was offered up as a sweet-smelling atonement for our sins. May our calling upon us have its due effect, and so may it station your peace as our front guard and reigning governor of our hearts, and may your word take up a rich residence within us. Lord, fill us with your words that we may teach and admonish each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Lord, clothe us with the new self as with a priestly garment and give us wisdom in stewarding the time that we have been allotted from you. Lord, season our speech with savory grace, like the grace you have shown shown to us in your death and burial and resurrection. And help us to put on true thankfulness for your body and for the church, for your word, which we love, and for access to to you in prayer, which we echo back in that prayer. We echo the words which you have sent to us, and they do not return to us void. Lord, I pray this in your Son's name.